0: Welcome, everyone, to The Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. hello world and welcome to another episode of the deep dive this time i'm back with visa in the studio hi visa
1: hey y'all thanks for having me yeah
0: yes so last time you were here and you said your book was going to come out in a few days that was in december and a few days turned out to be (laughs) be around 60 which isn't too bad um, but it is out now yeah. and I wanted to uh, to discuss it and I think a good way to do it would be to actually refer to its name first, so introspect. Um, mm-hmm. How do you feel about this term and how is it relating to the different parts of the book and how does it set the, the tone for the book, for the theme?
1: Yeah, so... The, the book has been on quite a journey itself. And initially what I knew was that I wanted to write a book about... Okay. So first I wanted to understand boredom. That was the original thing that I was interested in. And from a bunch of reading and reflection, I, I came to the conclusion that there are primarily four variables that influence boredom. And so I can, I can talk about it in terms of the solutions. So it's like, you need to rest, you need to declutter. You need to be less perfectionist and then you need to define your utility values and so the first three things are kind of understood so like if you're tired you should rest and if you know if you're in a cluttered space that makes it so some 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 people say things like ah there's nothing to watch on tv or there's nothing to do or this i got nothing to wear even though your closet is full of clothes and you feel like there's nothing to wear and the statement might seem incorrect because there's obviously a lot of things to do see where blah 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 but the feeling is i think there's there's a truth in the feeling that people experience they experience the feeling that there's nothing to do and part of it is first of all they're tired and then they're cluttered and then they they're being perfectionist meaning they want something above what they feel is possible and they want something more exciting more compelling more interesting blah 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 so everything that they see around them does not quite meet the meet the standards of what they're expecting subconsciously so those first three things, I feel are, there are already books about those topics. There's books about the importance of rest and sleep and so on. There's you know Marie Kondo and the, the joy of tidying up and decluttering. And like uh, Barry Schwartz wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice, which is about per- perfectionism and being willing to satisfy. Us. But I felt like there wasn't really a good book about the last thing, which is defining what is important to you and what your your values are. Because if you don't know what you want, then, you know, you're going to sit in front of a, like you're at a restaurant and you're looking at a menu and you, you, there's a whole bunch of options, but you don't know what you want and you can't choose. And so I I wanted to write about how to figure out what you want. And so the, the first few drafts of the book were kind of about that, like, oh, how do you figure out what you want? But when I wrote those drafts, I read them and I, something just felt off to me. Like it, it didn't seem correct. Like how, like I, 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 you know, I did a bunch of googling and reading and talking to friends and reading my own uh, journals and stuff. But, but like the question, "How do I figure out what I want?" almost seems like a like a like a fake, like a, like a like a mislead, like a deliberate misdirection. Hmm. And the thing I, I continue exploring, and it's like children don't ask, "What do I want?" You know, children just do what they just do what they want. They already know what they want. And so what I came to believe, and so I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I like know this for certain, but I've come to believe that people are almost innately or like born pretty much knowing what they want. But then as you grow up and you, you go through life, you know, your parents might tell you, no, you can't have that or, you know, this is not appropriate or this is wrong. And then, you know, you have, you you grow a bit older and you have social pressure and you have friends and you you, you want to fit in with your friends and you you want to want the things that your friends want or, you know, there's advertising in the media and there's just all these, these messaging that we get and it kind of gets in people's heads and they, they get detached from what they want. So to figure out what you want, it's not so much about, going on some extent some kind of uh, investigative inquiry of something beyond yourself but it's actually already within you and the thing is to figure out how you're blocking yourself from what your feelings are and what you want because there might be shame there might be guilt there might be repression or some kind all kinds of different ways that that might be going on and um, i mean so the word introspect i remember asking on twitter what's a way of, what's an elegant way of saying articulate what you want, you know, or like figuring out, just figuring yourself out. And so I wanted like a one word um, kind of answer to that. And it's just, I, I riffed a little bit. I remember at one, at one point I came up with the word um, one triculate, it's just like a horrible word. It's like one and articulate. And I was like, I, I, I do not want to use that word. Please give me a better word. And like uh, a bunch of people gave a bunch of suggestions and introspect was just my favorite suggestion that someone gave me. I'm like, oh yeah, it's like looking inwards, you know, just kind of f- figuring out stuff on the inside. I'm like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. And so that stopped. So the, the book became titled introspect. And then uh, I went through a few drafts and it, now it is what it is.
0: Nice. Uh, so yeah. So when you when you say that, in a sense, it sounds like you think that when people can't figure out what they want. In essence, it's a kind of a a little uh, extinguishing that's going on of a fire inside, Mm -hmm. something like that. And, you know, numerous studies have been showing that everything to do with decision making is very emotional, right? So just um, logic alone is not actually going to help you choose anything. We need some sort of uh, a different kind of impetus to actually reach out for something and go for it. And I really like this idea that when we don't feel it, when we don't know where to go next, um, in essence, there is some sort of of an emotion that's either suppressed or is missing for some other reason. And that is also what I got from uh, reading your book at the beginning, especially is, is there is a lot of awakening of all things and, and, yeah, that, that, that seems to be a, a theme, to get going again.
1: Right. right. Uh, so I remember I remember a while, a while ago, we were on Twitter, and I was uh, I was kind of shitposting about, uh, was it Plato? Plato's Chariot? And yeah. uh, the concept there. And so I, I wouldn't say that I, I have a thorough understanding of what exactly he intended with that framework. But the interesting thing I would say for me is that while writing my book, I did a bunch of reading of older books and just old like older stuff. I haven't yet been able to completely kind of integrate all of my reading and learning into the book itself. I'm going to do that in subsequent versions. But I would say like super broad strokes, zooming all the way out. um, There's this book by Rollo May. He wrote it, he published it in 1953. And the book's called Man's Search for Himself. And it's kind of, I think it's a riff, deliberate riff off of uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. But anyway, like he, you know, he references like Nietzsche and and Freud and all these people, and like again, we can probably spend hours going into the nitty gritty of what exactly is logic, what is emotion, what is the will, what is like all of those things. But I, I would say, just at, at the very big picture, broad strokes level, we can say that the way that our contemporary everyday language, you know, the way, the language that we use in in, uh, in talking about business and talking about just uh, not just business, but like the you know the pop psychology of 2010s, twenty tens, the of post millennium pop mm-hmm. psychology, is very instrumental. It's very logical, mechanical, and it's kind of been this way for some at, at least a few decades. I would say like since World War II before like again, like going into the nitty gritty of the scholarship of that is is, uh, is something you probably spend a lot of time on. And I'm not going to claim to be an expert or an authority on that. But when you, when you look back and you read older stuff, you go back to like Spinoza, right? Like, uh, so I mean, broadly, I get the sense that what Rollo May thinks, he kind of blames Descartes for it. He feels like Descartes sort of did this split of the mind-body duality in in popular consciousness, and then people just kind of went along with it. And, and the way that people describe themselves is is different from the way that people describe themselves in the past. Like in the past, you know, I think there's some stuff about how, um, and so you can go and you can read up like uh, the breakdown of the bicameral mind, which I don't. Again, it's like that—that's a whole messy, murky topic, and different people have different interpretations. Some people say that Julian Jaynes, who was the author of that book, was like completely insane or like was completely wrong, <laughs> and I don't—I don't know enough to judge. But I think what like a, a casual listener or layperson can think about is that it's unlikely that the way that we speak and think of ourselves today is the same as it's always been, right? Like, so even things like photography, like our technology definitely influences our, our mental models of, of things. And so like the introduction of things like photography and filmmaking and movies and all that, that has shaped our language for speaking of, about ourselves and thinking of ourselves as subjects and so on. And it's just, it's just interesting in the, the idea that we may have kind of lost certain ways of relating to ourselves and not lost entirely, like it's gone, but like, it's just not kind of in the mainstream ways of thinking, but it comes out in, you know, it comes out in, uh, like our, our love songs, even right. Like, you know, the heart wants what it wants. or like, you know, owner mm-hmm. of a lonely heart, like just, there's all these unbreak my heart there's there's all this, this stuff I, I really, I, I would like to, I, I might do a blog post or something just, Exploring the language that we use and and our metaphors, we say things like, you know, I got cold feet or I'm like half-hearted about it. Like it's very physical and mm. and, and oh, yeah. like we use that language, but th- there's a bit of a disconnect between our popular psychology and our like older language for how we describe ourselves. So mm. and I th- I think that disconnect is a source of anxiety for people. Like the, they, they feel that the way that we are, you know, you go to school and you sit at your desk for hours and hours and like you go to your job and just the structure of our everyday life does not match what is kind of resonant for the human being, right? Literally. Right. Yeah. It's, it seems that, um,
0: yeah, like I said, the, the beginning of the book is, is a lot about, you um, awakening and can you share a little bit about how you've implemented some of these ideas in your life in terms of um maybe trying to reconnect in some way and and kickstart uh a creative process or anything like that because it seems that and i already know this from our last conversation and just from following you on twitter but it's very important to you that people actually go ahead and uh act on their uh, impetus to make an impact impact in the world and create and and celebrate life with others and not hold back, not keep things inside. And I wanted to see how this connects in, in your own personal life with topics discussed in the book.
1: Yeah. So it's been interesting for me because you know, from my point of view, I've always just been myself and I've always just done the things that I like to do and I've lived my life in doing doing what feels natural for me. And I have been privileged enough to kind of cultivate an audience on Twitter. And so I get to hear from a lot of different people. And what's been interesting for me is that, you know, so I, I present myself on Twitter, I think like as, as this very nerdy, curious person who likes ideas and stuff, which is true. And I receive... You know, people people who are drawn to me are also people who are very into ideas and, and thinking and, and philosophy, all those things. But like, I, I think a, a common difference between me and a lot of people who hang out in my space is that they tend to be almost, there's, there's a substantial part of them who are like very, very cerebral. And I would describe myself as quite cerebral, but I've also always been lucky to love music and love art and love you know, poetry. Like I, when I was in a, a teenager, I used to play in a band. So I've always had, so I, I do have like my logical, rational side, but I've also always had this very passionate, you know, I love books. I love media stories can make me cry. You know, I've always had that. And so for me, I guess I've, I've returned to those things a lot. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I wasn't doing very well in school because I I wasn't I just hated school and I the thing that would save me emotionally so I would feel you know depressed anxious over why am I not studying why am I not being a good son why am I not you know living up to expectations and the thing that would always bring me solace and comfort was music and and you know songwriters and art and you know, even like watching Lord of the Rings, I re-watch, I try to rewatch it like once a year or so. And I feel like it's a love letter to, to humanity and the to, to human spirit and courage and friendship and all those things. And to me, these things are sacred. It's like very, very important. And it it, it kind of, uh, it renews the human spirit. It makes life worth living. There's a quote from uh, Dead Poets Society, uh, the Robin Williams movie, where he says, you know, there are all these great things that sustain life, you know, medicine and law and and... Uh, science and all those things they, they make life bigger, more bountiful and all those things. But like love, music, art, that's what we live for. You know, and I've I I've always kind of that just seemed self-evidently correct to me. I, I never mm-hmm. really needed anybody to like argue that at me to persuade me of it. It's just obvious. Like like, you know, when 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 people are on their deathbeds, you know what do they think about? They think about what they love, what mattered to them, who are their friends, who are their loved ones. And yeah, so I've, I have kind of, so the thing that kind of uh, gave me the conviction and, and motivation to write Introspect was that people would DM me on Twitter, they would private message me asking, they say, oh, you know, you seem quite happy, you seem quite well adjusted, you seem like you're having a good time. And and you also you're also a nerd like me, but I'm not having a good time, like, like, can you help me out? And I'll be like, okay, like, I'll ask, I'll ask questions like what's what's going on with you, you know? Well, what are you struggling with? What do you want to be doing? What do you want to blah blah blah? And through those conversations, like I found there have been multiple people that I have been able to help somewhat. Some people have even told me that they found me more helpful than their therapist, which to me is mind-blowing. Amazing. And I, I now understand why. At the time I was like, hmm. because some therapists, they're very kind of clinical and they kind of they follow a checklist. And it's just, it's it's better than nothing, but it it's not very humane sometimes. And again, like this the healthcare system is complex, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, having, having been able to help people just by talking with them, asking them questions, being interested in their answers, and, and being genuinely kind of encouraging and supportive, and witnessing them really kind of, uh, re- you know, they relax, they, they kind of, the, the tension re- gets relieved for them. And I'm like, oh, wow, if I can do this for like a dozen people via text, then I should theoretically be able to do it with a book. And turns out, turns out that doing it in a book is actually harder because in a text, you can ask a question. And if they don't really like the question, you can like change it. Like you don't, you know, it's like you can adapt to the person. Whereas a book is static, it, it can't adapt to the person. And so you have to kind of, this is a different modality, it's a different way of, of uh, trying to engage with someone. So a lot of my writing process has been how do I have that conversation with someone who, who's not talking back to me, which is much harder. But yeah, yeah, so, you know, I, I basically, I had to talk with myself and second guess myself and, and that has been a whole journey, but broadly that's, that's it.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. And in terms of actually, um, stopping boredom, do you find that once uh, boredom is eliminated because somebody is now again, in touch with what they would actually like to reach for, um, Maybe it's also, now I'm just throwing a thought out there, but is it also that we kind of uh, overstimulate ourselves to the point where our um, baseline kind of goes up and up to the point where it's harder to, to make anything exciting?
1: That is an interesting question. I think, so again, I'm, I'm just spitballing, so I'm not an expert, but I think that overstimulation, I would describe it almost as a, it's similar to addiction, right? It's not, so not all overstimulation is is necessarily addiction, but addiction is a kind of overstimulation. And if you examine addiction and I talk about it in terms of coping mechanisms and copes, because I think addiction is a very loaded phrase and it's got like clinical associations. And I just want to kind of talk about it in a more abstract or less, less loaded sense. But, um, so why do people overstimulate? If you, if you eat a chocolate cake and it's nice and then when you finish the cake and then like you, you don't really want most people don't really want to have the second cake they're like oh the first cake is good i'm good thanks i'm full but like some people go on and have a second cake and the third cake this is i still remember that there's a line from uh louis ck stand up bit from a long time ago where he said the meal doesn't end when i'm full the meal oh, yeah. ends when i hate myself that's when <laughs> i see yeah right and i think i think he was being very honest there i think it's like there's this sense of when a person is choosing to overstimulate on some level, it's a kind of self-medication that is being taken a bit too far, and it's because it's it's like overcompensating for something else. So it's like, you know, I'm I'm not saying that people can't enjoy stimulus to a very high degree. So like, you can watch a lot of movies. You know, if, if you're like a passionate about movies and you want to just dive in and really enjoy movies like I can imagine you might watch like two or three movies a day become a film critic become an author like really make that a big part of your life but that wouldn't feel like overstimulation you know overstimulation is like you you're you're already sleepy or you know you're already tired you've already watched three movies and you choose to play the fourth Mm. movie anyway because it's it's kind of you don't want to face the rest of your life you know it's a it's yeah. a kind of escapism right yeah. i think over like the when overstimulation gets unhealthy it's because you, it's a kind of escapism and the thing to explore is why what are you kind of trying to get away from what are you afraid of what are you uncomfortable about and the interesting thing and the tricky thing about coping mechanisms and addiction and overstimulation is that um you know, I try to frame it as, and I and I kind of steal this from the easy way to quit smoking by Alan Carr, and mm-hmm. they, you know, those people successfully have managed to help a lot of people quit smoking. So I trust that their understanding of like the psychology of addiction is pretty sound, and they they say things like, wait, so when you when you read the book, and they're like, you have gotten this book because you want to quit, or because you know a loved one gave you this book because they want you to quit, and they're like saying, um, you do not have to quit, like you do not have to like they don't want you to feel guilty or ashamed about the the process of quitting because they know that when you beat yourself up about it, it's going to get worse because like, like you, you might, you might make some progress in the short run, but like, you know, there's like an internal conflict within you. And eventually when you, when you kind of see it as uh I need cigarettes to to survive, or I need just, I need, a, I need another fix. I can't, I can't go without my cigarettes. And then you're like, but I have to, and then you force yourself to do it. And then yeah. eventually, when you reach the breaking point for that, and then you light up again, now you feel horrible for it. You feel guilty. You feel ashamed. You're like, "Oh, I'm such a terrible person. I'm not in control of myself." And and then you might there's like guilt, sadness, anger, rage. There's all these feelings, and all of these kind of high high arousal emotions, right? Like they're just very very strong emotions that almost hijack the brain, and um, that just makes it very very difficult to quit because it it, it it spirals into this very intense kind of uh, it's like polarized. And then you swing from extremes back and forth and that just intensifies the habit. And so what the easy way people know, and I think it's true and I am trying to internalize this as well in my conversations with people is that if you want to, to kind of, um, and again, saying, get rid of the behavior is like tricky language. Cause again, you're, you're being kind of cold, like kind of violent about it. Sort of like I have to get rid of this behavior. It's more of like, I, I need to understand why I do this. Like, so you have to be very gentle and curious. Why do I smoke so much? Or why do I drink so much? Or why do I watch so many movies? Like what, what is this cope protecting me from? Or what is it trying yeah. to... Yeah. And, and what when am I running away from? Exactly. And and when you can be kind of like gentle with it and, and peaceful with it, the, the the crazy oscillation kind of slows down and then you can make progress. And that is something that I struggled with throughout my 20s. I would say like when I was about 24, 25, I was just so angry with myself all the time. Like, why am I not a better person? Why am I not? And Alan Watts has this great phrase. He says something like the reason you want to be better is the reason why you're not. And he's like joking about it and having fun. And I was like that Mm. one, that doesn't make sense. And two, how are you so (laughs) cheerful about it? It sounds horrible. It sounds like, it sounds like a a curse. It sounds like a, a mean, cruel joke that, I want to be a better person and you're telling me that because i want to be a better person i can't be like what the fuck? <laughs> like, you know, it's, a, it's like a trap right and but now i'm starting to get it it's like it's your discomfort with yourself that is kind of driving you away from yourself but because you can never actually get away from yourself then it's like it's like a rubber band like the further you pull the harder you snap back yeah and so you have the thing is really you have to accept where you are and be like it might, I, I might not like that I'm a smoker or that I'm a you know heavy drinker or whatever it is about myself that I don't like, but I have to accept that this is who I am right now. And this is where I am right now. And I am not going to be cruel to myself. I'm going to learn to get to know myself better and understand why I am the way I am and, and be okay with that. And like when you can have that sort of peace, then it's like, Things get can get better from there. But as long as the implicit message, and, and if you if you split this up into like a parent and child relationship or like a you know husband and wife relationship, or just any any relationship between two agents rather than within yourself, it becomes a bit more obvious. It's like if one person is very adamant that the other person needs to change, then the other person feels unloved, unaccepted, kind of, and they want to rebel against that, right? Like just think of a rebellious teenager who's like, you know the parent says you can't date so and so, and then they're like all the more they feel compelled to do it. There's there's something like that, and it goes on inside yourself as well. So like the person who wants the beach body and wants to be fit or wants to be really good at work, and, and they're like, oh, I, I demand that you, my, I demand that I myself, kind of live up to my grand expectations. Right. There's another part of you that's like, no, fuck that. I'm not gonna do, I'm not, you're not the boss of me. I'm not gonna do whatever you tell me. And they can, you know, the 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 more I, I the way I frame it for myself is something like, um, so if you think about it as, as the conscious will is like the, the prefrontal cortex, it's the most recent development of the brain, right? It's like the adult in the room, yeah. but it's very recent. And then like if you go all the way to the base of the brain, and again, my, my neuroscience is not very correct but like rough rough strokes right if you go to the base of the brain it's like the lizard brain which is like fighting feeding fucking like you know the very primal basic stuff that's it can still be active when the rest of the brain has shut down so it's like it knows that when you're tired or when you're overwhelmed or when you're angry then it'll get what it wants so it's it can wait you know and so there's that there's that tension there and you have to respect it. I find it's like uh, some some people use the analogy of it's like you are the I think there's a book called the Elephant in the Brain or like uh, Dan and Chip Heath have a book where it's like the conscious mind is like the rider of the elephant mm-hmm. and the elephant is like the subconscious mind and the the subconscious is just more powerful than you. You can't you can't right. beat it into submission. Like you can try in the short run, but like it will when you're sleeping, it'll come for you that kind of thing. And that that can be kind of anxiety inducing for some people. I think when they feel like oh no I, I can't control myself but the beautiful thing is coming to realize that you have lived this long and your subconscious hasn't murdered you yet <laughs> right and it's it is on your team you know it does love you it's 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 messy right you a part of it might hate you is you know it's just it's like a family right like family relationships are complex you might hate your sibling but you'll protect them against someone else yeah shit about you yeah i think kind of i like think
0: that. that that it is a lot about uh making peace with, with yourself and how you described addiction, I think is this very much how it is. It's a coping mechanism for something and it's running away from something. And I don't think that it's a, it's a coincidence that we call um, some more extreme experience, a trip. Like I went on this trip and then there's literal trips and trying to move in, in time and space and imagination, and I really like uh, just the this simple adage that says, wherever you go, there you are, which is kind of what you're <laughs> saying, you know? It's, so true. you can go, you can try running away from things and then uh, you brought yourself there because, yeah. you know, it's yeah. not actually a separate thing. And now I'm trying to connect this with, with boredom, which is interesting. Like boredom is almost this... Um, giving up it's like feeling trapped but in a different way where it's not actually clear to you what you are I mean you may be kind of shooting in the dark trying to find a way that will catapult you away from yourself at that moment and you just can't find it and in a sense it's interesting because it's it it is I think it is better to be bored than to be um actively addicted to, to something because being addicted is, is really just having this, uh, you're in a rut and you just keep going, you know, you're just driving the engine and it's not going anywhere and you're trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results and all that. Um, with boredom, that's, do you think it might signal that there is a sort of uh, ripeness, Maybe maybe you are ripe to to find something new, to fill that space, to take on something new, but it's actually quite hard to become playful again, because all the things that you've mentioned about how um, our our inner fire kind of gets extinguished, I think at a young age, whether it's school or a traditional society where they tell you, well, no, not everything is possible. And, you know, doing this, uh, pursuing this creative path, Or something like that is is not for you it's not really for anybody you know which is really always really interests me because even the people who say it they know the biggest entertainers authors uh, filmmakers whatever it was like how do they explain the fact that these people are out there that in fact they did decide to do it and they pursued it and they made it and I always wonder what the explanation was for people who see these other people and yet they say it's not for anyone basically to pursue these things. Uh, How do they explain the fact that there are people who are doing it and are successful and are they telling themselves well they must have had parents who actually were okay with them doing it or they had enough fire to uh, to fight their war, they were spirited enough to keep going and I think that's that's a super important message is that a lot of it is done with with playfulness with allowing yourself to do uh things that are not so goal-oriented they're not they're not so heavy in the sense that you you have to make it or else right you have to get the uh, you have to get it right or you're not going to have something to eat or whatever and so much is, is so much weight is put on our um shoulders as we grow up from these messages of don't do this, you know, you know, focus here on this thing that's going to uh that you're actually going to subsist on for the rest of your life. So playfulness seems to be a, a very important thing when you're trying to find uh the fire and spirit, man
1: yeah and i would also add that you don't necessarily need to be dramatic about it like you don't need to quit your job and and kind of you know without ever having done any of the things that you want to do and and then you try it and then you fail then you're like oh you know what a horrible life it's like you can like i i would say no matter how like for most people like again if you can listen to a podcast for example like you can definitely carve out like 20 minutes a week for starters, like one, once a weekend, like 20 minutes, like just whatever, whatever it is that you wish you could do, like whether it's being a writer, being a musician, learning another language, like just something, but like you, you just set aside a small amount of time for yourself once a week that's precious and sacred to you to, to screw around and have fun. And, and the, the relief that that provides is that you can kind of incubate for yourself this little sacred space that isn't kind of it's not for sale basically right so no matter how even if you're broke and you don't have much money and you're like you know i need to work hard i need to make every minute count like no like 20 minutes a, a once a week right and you know like all religions have like the sabbath when you, know, you go to church or like this there's there's some time that is precious whether it's for god or it's for community or for something else but just some precious time that isn't for sale and that. That, that time will be priceless for you and it will nourish your soul. Even if you don't end up being like a super, super successful artist or super successful, you know, just musician, whatever it is that you, you love, spending 20 minutes once a week, even if you're like an investment banker or whatever, right? Like 20 minutes once a week to to just enjoy music for yourself. You That adds up week after week, after a few years, you'll get good at it. and And that's, a joy in of itself even if you never do anything with it. I also want to talk a bit about boredom again about like the the range of nuance in in the experience of boredom so there's like there's like the casual idle almost pleasant blissful boredom which is fine like you know if you're just kind of sitting on your ass doing nothing after like that, that can be great. Right, but like when I was investigating boredom, I was talk- I wanted to talk more about like this more corrosive kind of uh. this just this this foggy, dense, ominous sort of boredom, which is like you feel shitty even though you're not doing anything. Like you, you feel like mm. you should be resting, but you can't rest. You feel like you should be do- doing something, but you don't know. Like it's just mm. that, that everything is terrible, sort of thing and investigating that feeling there's actually like someone who wrote a book and he he described a bit of this it's, it's in my book as well i quoted him i can't remember the name but it's like he calls it demonic bottom which is i i think it's it's pretty accurate it's like the, the feeling of it is just this very ominous sort of bottom and in my investigation i found that i think for a lot of people who are struggling with that that deeper darker bottom the bottom can almost be itself like a band-aid over uglier, more unpleasant feelings. So it might be that you're afraid of something, but you don't want to admit that you're afraid, so you Mm. cover it up, I'm bored, you know, like, like, again, like you can instantly make any activity more exciting by raising the stakes. Right. Like if you, if you're like, if you just, if you start gambling, like so some people end up gambling because of this, right? So you just, you're watching some boring football match, you you bet on one side and you put like a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks on it. And suddenly it's right. much more exciting. Like, oh shit. Yeah. Who's going to win? You know, it's like, it has consequences for it. So I don't recommend gambling, but like broadly, like if you ask yourself, why am I bored? You'd be like, okay. Like it's because you're, you're operating in your, in your safe, zone where there's no consequences you're inside your comfort zone and the question is why are you not leaving your comfort zone just a little bit even why don't you go to the edge of your comfort zone and go beyond and then then people might give excuses that uh that sound correct where they're saying oh i don't have time oh i don't have money i don't have whatever but like that's almost the excuse people come up with excuses that, and i do this myself i've done this while writing my book which is so meta like why have i not shipped my book yet oh it's because <laughs> it doesn't have enough you know, there's not enough details here. That's correct, but so why not ship the book with missing details? And the thing is, you know, I'm afraid of what people will say, I'm afraid of criticism. I'm afraid, you know, people will say it's not a very good book. I'm afraid people will say blah, 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 So it's like, you have to come to terms with what you're afraid of. And it's way easier to just say, I'm, I'm bored. I'm tired. <laughs> you know? It's, yeah. it's you're, you're kind of complaining, but you're not admitting weakness, right? So it's, and the more, if you can admit weakness to yourself and be vulnerable to yourself and with your close friends or whatever, then, you know, it's a little bit scary at first, but then it's exciting. It's like, oh, I'm afraid of this, but what if we try that, you know, and then, it, then it starts to spiral into something fun
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely it, do, it does make sense that you know in a, in a state of boredom there may be things under the surface that have been pushed away they're suppressed and and they're waiting to be found and yeah i'm interested in hearing like is there a, a theme for for the messages you say you've gotten in the past what uh actually people what what is it that people feel they lack um, is it uh, worries, uh, worries, kind of m- mundane worries about about financial situations, or was it more uh, spiritual crisis type of situation where people really didn't know um, what exactly
1: or, or to, towards uh, what they want to go? What was it? Yeah. So with the people who come to me, I I think even even things like mundane financial problems that when you dig into it, it's not that mundane, you know, it's, it's not, it's never really the money itself, but what the money represents to them. Mm. It's like, they feel that, you know, I'm not making enough. I'm not, I'm not keeping up with my peers. You know, I have peers who have so much more successful than me, or, you know, I can't, uh, so, I mean, some people may have like very status anxiety type issues where they feel like they should be more because they know that they're smart, but they're not making a lot of money. Some people might feel family pressure, but like it's 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 invariably some kind of. Um, I I feel from having talked to probably hundreds of people at this point, it's like it really always the. So I, I was taking notes on all of the reasons that people felt unhappy or you know like at some point didn't feel comfortable with themselves or didn't feel satisfied with themselves, and one big theme that came up was a sense of inadequacy like, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not sociable enough, I'm not sexy enough, I'm not attractive enough, uh, you know, body image issues, um, some people have, like, religious-specific trauma with regards to their, their upbringing, some people have, like, oh, you know, my, the, the saddest ones are, like, people whose families are dysfunctional, and so it's, like, why doesn't my mom love me, like, why, why does she treat me so cruelly, like, what's wrong with me, like, that's, like intellectually, you know that oh, honey, like your your parent has has like issues, and it's not your fault. But like right. from for them on the inside, it doesn't feel that way because it's like from childhood they just feel. So that's something that you know I I it's very difficult to help people with um by just giving them some ideas. Like they really need like rehabilitation by being immersed in relationships with people who care for them. Uh, but like super broadly, yeah, I feel like people feel inadequate and they feel like um if they if they kind of share the truth of themselves it will be rejected in some way like their their uncertainties and 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 stuff like that Uh, Brene Brown has a bunch of good riffs about this. I was was researching her again when I was writing my book. And she says things like blame, for example. It's a way of of discharging anger and frustration and upset and just those sort of feelings. It's not really helpful. Blame is very seldom helpful for making things better. It's really just a a momentary relief at at discharging your, your frustration. And so if you do it inwardly towards yourself, you blame yourself for whatever outcome you're in you temporarily feel better, but you're going to feel worse because it just feels like you're, you're screwing things up. And yeah, I think that really people are lonely. People are isolated. People feel, uh, you know, like, so what, what is the truth of their inner experience? is not as, accurately or adequately reflected in their external reality mm. so it's like the cheesy things are like you know you scroll through Instagram and everyone looks so happy Fuck, I'm not so happy like but actually everyone's everyone's showing their highlight reels right oh, yeah. like posting oh, yeah. their happy shit and then when they are feeling miserable they're just they're just scrolling and not sharing and, and you amplify this across all media there's this great thing where um, you know one of my favorite artists is Paramore and. They Haley, the singer, she has a story about when she was performing on Good Morning America, right? And which is like their morning talk show. She's like super cheerful and chirpy. And the song that they were playing was called Fake Happy, which is like about pretending to be happy when you're not. And Haley was saying that the anchor, who's like super cheerful, was saying, Oh, this is the song I relate to. And Haley was like, Shit, <laughs> like, like even <laughs> this person who's like this. This representation of this cheerful morning, chirpy, happy energy. She yeah. is saying that she relates to being fake, being a fraud, basically, right? Like her, her presentation of happiness is forced. And just the the it's almost like it's like there's a conspiracy, you know? It's not it's a, the conspiracy of happiness and, and being well put together and you know not being not being angry inappropriately, not being sad inappropriately, like just being put together i guess this is a very old thing that goes all the way back i'm sure if you if you go back like several hundred years people are still struggling with this like if you read novels and like depressed existential russian novels like, oh. it's all about this right? just society and even families right like a, a father feels like he has to put on a brave face for his wife and kids and if they see him struggling and there's some truth to that you don't want to you don't want to just bleed all over everybody else like that's irresponsible as well so you gotta this is this is managing your emotions skillfully and you're not you're not born knowing how to do that effectively if, like if you look at a baby it's like crying and screaming and your uh, uh well-adjusted parents and family would help to to nourish and support that child's emotional exp- expression without suppressing it but like nobody's nobody's a perfectly enlightened parent everyone's tired and frustrated they have their own baggage and so we're all kind of mucking around and screwing up and then we screw up other people and it just it's this infinite fractal of, of screwing up and we have to see the humor in it and we have to kind of laugh about it and be like okay you know like you know we're all human we're just some guy it's just some girl and yeah i think um, there, there seems to be a threshold that some people cross and some people have not crossed, and I think it's it's really a threshold of when you realize that, like it's all it's all a sham, <laughs> you know. It's all it's all it's, it's just it's this big stage act.
0: Like life is really this yeah. big. A- it's, everybody, it's kind of cool. everybody's an imposter at uh, on, on yeah. some yeah. level, you know. And yeah. I, yeah, I, I very consciously at some point. You know not too long ago, like basically when I was coming online like maybe two years ago, just decided that i'm I'm just going to be out there contributing my two cents on things and not really caring anymore just again making this a lot more like play than about this serious thing where you can where you stand to fail and suffer some serious consequences if you're not good i mean if you write something that isn't good for you it's going to uh be very hard to receive this criticism maybe but the the upside is that if it's not very good it's also not going to be very memorable uh you actually have to probably try very hard to make something so bad that it's memorable in terms of some Piece of art, and then if you've managed to somehow do that, it's probably going to become a piece of of cult, which people yeah. are going to love <laughs> after five years. You know, just wait five years, and your really horrible stuff is going to become great. People are going to appreciate because they they will assume that you were just this is the kind of genius you are that you're able to create something that's uh, that's so outstandingly bad and. Yeah, I wonder. So, what are some of the what are some of the baby steps that people can take sitting in their uh, state of boredom or not really sure, not being sure about what is wrong? What are some baby steps? Baby steps that can be taken to to get out of this rut?
1: Yeah, I, I first quickly want to just gonna build mm-hmm. on what you just said about screwing up badly. Um, yeah, you know, I think that you can you can examine culture and see that while people can be very unforgiving in the short run of of something bad happening like uh and if you remember rebecca black's friday the song friday friday and like she she so she was mocked for that for like a couple of years maybe but then she came back like several years later and she's developed as an artist and her new stuff is not, not bad and like it's ended up being a net positive for her Same for like uh, Monica Lewinsky, for example. She was at the Mm -hmm. heart of like the Bill Clinton scandal back then. And that was, you know, society was different 20 years ago. And it was like super cruel to her and super everything. And, you know, she was ashamed and she felt like she wanted to die. And it's just very, I highly recommend looking up a story. She's given like TED Talks and stuff since. And now she's like, she's really like, she's been a phoenix out of the ashes. Like she's just well-adjusted, well-spoken, you know, doing good things for, for speaking about shame and bullying and all these things. And it really, studying these people has really taught me that like no failure has to be final, you know, and if you failed in the past, it can take some time to get back on your feet. But when you eventually do that, people admire that and people respect that because everyone, everyone is afraid of fucking up and, and being you know mocked and bullied for it and like laughed at. And if they see that that's happened to you and you, I mean, of course, you're going to be broken for a while or like you'll cry and miserable and feel, feel like shit but when you eventually get up again and and have courage to stand up again like that really really resonates with a lot of people so there'll probably still be like 5% 3% of people who are still kind of annoying well, about this. Misanthropes, and, and yeah still unforgiving i think you'll see that they are being ex- like it, they're being too vindictive at that point and that's because of their own personal issues like they have yeah. some reason that they feel a the need to kind of continue to beat the dead horse so especially. right and yeah, I would say that reflecting on these things, I think, is very healing. It's just realizing that humanity as a whole, like the the bulk of humanity, I think, again, while people are mostly tired and and stressed and they don't they're kind of busy, they don't really pay a lot of close attention to what's going on, blah blah. So they might jump to a bad conclusion and stick with it for a while, but like. Humanity does love redemption stories, and so if you if you fuck up and you make a genuine effort to redeem yourself, eventually people come around, and that's good to know. I think, like in the in the like, you're probably not going to fuck up as badly as some of those people, but the fact that if you're able to face the truth of what happened and be honest with it and laugh at yourself a little bit, like that you there's recovery at the end of that. Okay, as for the question about baby steps out of bottom, like, yeah, I think, again, it goes go, goes back to the, the 20 minutes a week sort of thing. And like, you can realistically, you can do it every day. You know, you can, like, I, when I say 20, 20 minutes a week, that's like if you're a parent and you're you're busy with work and you just bills to pay, like, it's very, very difficult to squeeze in any time, then it's like 20 minutes a week. But most people, I would say, you know, if you don't have, like, if you're not totally overwhelmed, like 20 minutes a day can even be restorative. You know, it makes you feel... This, like whether it's meditation or whether it's reading a book, right? Or whether whatever it is that you love, ask yourself what it is that you love and, and really kind of go into it. And then having a little bit of that every day makes life feel less um, less like a prison, like less, less hectic, like you're going from one task to another, going from one to-do list item to another. And and some people, I think the funny thing is they then put this on their to-do list, like it's another task that they have to do for. And I'm like, eh, you know, you, it shouldn't be that way. But you know, you, you you different people have different paths to whatever it is that they figure out. You know, it's a You might go through a messy path along the way. But yeah, I always ask people to to remind themselves of who they were at the start. Like, um, write your memoirs. I especially recommend that. Like, even just in your notes app on your phone. Like when you're on the waiting for a bus or train, just just write the story of your life to yourself. Like, hi so-and-so first name right like i was born in this year and like when i was a child i used to do this and my parents are like that and my you know when i went to school i like to do this and you just start rambling about what your story is and i find that you know g- getting a sense of that broad big picture sense of your life i think that mm-hmm. that is very um it pulls people out of, of the, the daily grind that I think hmm. that people find so oppressive, right? Like, and I also re- similarly recommend reading biographies of anybody, like, you know, just because a biography is written over the span of a person's life. And that pulls you out of like the daily news cycle where every day there's some right. breaking news and it seems like, oh, you know, is Russia going to invade Ukraine? Oh, you know, it's some, the, but like, if you look at last year's news and the year before that, like yeah, every year, World War Three is supposedly going to happen. And every year, it's, I mean, someday it might, but, you know, it, it helps to just get a sense of, of bigger perspective. I think that these things kind of uh, just make it easier for you to like, prioritize yourself. And again, when I say prioritize yourself, I don't mean become like a selfish asshole, you know, and and there really is this thing of when you make a little bit of time and space to listen to yourself and do what you love, you then feel this, this relief and you can be more present for other people. You can be like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And, and oh, really yeah. listen. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Do you, do you notice, is it something that you noticed or conceptually you think is natural for people um, to come out of, out of boredom and into Uh, meaningful work in terms of artistic creation is that where you'd like to see uh, people going because I know you're you're big on actually encouraging people to to contribute their novel um, syntheses and views on things is
1: that something that the book aims to do Mm, yeah I mean I, I don't specify that you should necessarily um Become a creative. But I I mean, so I, I, I consider myself one. And I think uh, you know, when I was reading some Niji, I was reading some Rollo May, they were saying things like the, the creative spirit of, of of self-creation. And again, I I'm I need to read more and study more and, and really get into precisely what is meant by that. But there's this sense of um even if you never actually make you know whether it's a painting or a song or whatever it is like, even if you don't make those things the way in which you conduct yourself is a kind of art in a sense you mm-hmm. you can you can like just the choices that you make how you choose to spend your time you know deciding to talk to old friends deciding like just the decisions that you make is itself you know like the if you can think of a human life as just a series of choices like there's artistic ways to artistic sets of choices, right? It's, like, it's almost like a, like a portfolio of choices and you can have a more artful and joyful um, life, right? A portfolio life than, than if you just follow kind of what the script tells you to do, right? So that, that is a creative life, even if you don't literally produce creative works. Although there does seem to be some correlation, like when you start making interesting, you, you just there there is something about the joy of making things, and you know if you go to, if you check out like this, um just tribal communities like the you know the Kung Bushmen or the Kalahari, like those people they they, they make beads and they they paint their own homes and they this it's very um uh, they are very handsy with their stuff. It's not right. and that does seem to. Relate in some way their relationship with their environment. They feel that you know their homes are their homes and their clothes are their clothes, and just they're very deliberate about the choices that they make and the the things that they inhabit. And they don't necessarily think of themselves as I am an artist, you know. Like no, no, but it's
0: but it's interesting to note that you know all all these things are happening exactly in those times when they probably are fed for the day or for the week, and this is the time where you know had they suffered boredom it would be in those times but instead they go they go in and create these things I also really like the link you're making between art and the way you conduct yourself um, because we mentioned biographies and this is exactly that realizing that you have you have the agency to actually be the author of your biography not in the sense that you're putting it down in words but thinking ahead and steering yourself to the places where you want to visit and more proactively um living out a story that you already have in your head and that you feel is going to be a good story for yourself that you'd enjoy at the same time experiencing and reading you know so yeah it's not that we can completely control that and make sure that whatever we become a huge success but just as you also mentioned the stories of redemption the stories of 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 trying and failing that is, is really at the, at the heart of so many stories, you know, going and, and the, the struggles and it's, it's worth doing, I think for a lot of people. And that is really hard to, to pull the trigger on a decision like that of, you know, I am going to make a good story, even at the expense of me feeling security day in and day out, I'm going to, Uh, sacrifice security for the chance of actually experiencing a good biography. Sounds weird, but yeah, Yeah, living out uh, an interesting story like that.
1: Yeah. And again, I would, I would emphasize that, you know, you don't need to change the entire thing all at once. It can be like, just, you know, like one page, every chapter one, like two pages, every chapter, like just kind of slowly increment to it. And yeah, another thing I would say is that, you know, if you're bored, like you don't necessarily need to be making stuff you could be talking to people right or you could be cooking or you could just anything that interests you you know so Mm -hmm. it's it's uh, it's tricky to kind of tell give suggestions to people because i don't want to like influence their decisions it's really how do you be influenced by yourself you know because deep deep down there are things that you love that you care about you know you that more than everyone else around you and and I think everyone is nourished witnessing someone else really love the thing that they love. Right. So even if I'm, I'm never going to get into, let me look around um, jewelry. Okay. I I like jewelry, so that's cheating, but like, uh, you know, like producing microphones, yeah, just something that I'm not very into. Like, okay, audio audio technology. Mm-hmm. I'm not all that passionate about audio technology. But if someone really loves it and they really want to understand sound and audio engineering and they're just very passionate about it, me witnessing them love that oh, is yeah. nourishing for me as well. Even though I'm never gonna like, maybe someday I'll be like, hey, what do you suggest I should get? I'm gonna, I'm renovating my house. What kind of sound system should I get? And then they're like, oh, have you tried this? You know, you got to use the seven by one. I'm like, no idea what you're talking about but I love to hear it. (laughs) I love your passion for your thing. So it's like, yeah, each person should be passionate about the thing that they love. And again, like even if, even if you're not like, like internationally, professionally successful, you can be the person who's just in amongst your friend group. You're known as the person who loves that. And that, that can be enough, you know, that can be, can be a joy.
0: Yeah. So it's, first of all, it's absolutely attractive in people that they're this interested in something and it makes it, Easy for me because, like you say, if, uh, if I'm a junkie of anything, let's say I hope I'm not. But certainly, talking talking with people and hearing them kind of even even raving or rambling about the stuff that really turns them on in terms of of curiosity and intellect like that is wonderful, you know. And then I'm able yeah. to actually approach it myself with with renewed curiosity about this thing which I didn't really know. I would I would be interested at all it's it's fascinating and then you uh then you realize that i think a lot of the times we things we're not interested in we're kind of projecting on the whole area that maybe it's some nonsense area that people are kind of like to discuss or something like that every once in a while you meet the person who actually speaks about it and is able to communicate to you the 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 big ideas about it that that make sense that are not just exchanging opinions on something, but it's whether they connect it to something intellectual from a different domain, or whether they connect it to something emotional, and they you know like fashion for me, I I I'm not there as you can see, but I've met those people who've been able to make the connection uh, between fashion and 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 their well-being and now I'm getting it like how it how it can be such a thing and it's not just about superficiality or or anything like that so it's it's definitely great to meet people who are passionate about things like that in that way
1: yeah I know this guy who's super passionate about Japanese tea ceremonies he's not even Japanese but like he's so into it I just I, I just witness him talking about it i'm like ah oh, it's so nice that he just cares <laughs> so much and like for him it's everything you know, it's spirituality and it's philosophy yes yeah. it's, it's all it's beautiful that's great in terms of um in terms of
0: the more advanced parts of the book uh what are they aimed at at doing and how do you want to advance people who read this book
1: like what do you wish for them right so the the So the book is split into five acts, act one, act two, and so on. It follows a traditional hero's journey. And so act one is just introducing the idea of the call to adventure, the sense of discomfort that you have in in your old life, and the sense that there's more to life and you've got to go out into the world, but it's scary and difficult. And act two is a lot about Training, training to be prepared for the challenges ahead. So it's like learning cultivating a sense of humor, learning project management, learning how to you know manage your feelings and that kind of thing. And then act three is into the labyrinth. And that's about facing your coping mechanisms, facing your your fears, facing discomfort, all those things. And then act four is the really difficult, painful one, which is um confronting yourself, basically, confronting the minotaur at the center of the labyrinth. Who is yourself? Who is you know the there's, there's the part of you that was shunned, unloved to kind of, you know, the, the ugly parts of you, the, the parts of you that you hate, the parts of you that you think are uh, socially kind of un- unacceptable. And there's the, there's the tyrant energy, the sense of, of having to live up to expectations and having to make sure that everything goes according to plan and uh, like beating yourself up if you fail at it. And, and how do you deal with that? And I think that that's the hardest, it's the hardest chapter to write. It's the hardest chapter to read as well, like for for people who are uncomfortable. And it's just coming to terms with the fact that your relationship with yourself is less than ideal. I think, I mean, again, different people, different people respond to that differently. Like for some people it's like, oh yeah, of course, that's just, obviously I'm beating myself up all the time. Like, tell me more. (laughs) Whereas for some people it's like, they might not realize that they're doing it because they just, they don't even separate you know the voice in their head beating them up all the time with themselves they just see it as I wake up in the morning and I feel like shit and I don't know why and then if you if you point out to them that that's you actually you are you are the person who is being cruel to yourself like that can set them off on a oh shit oh fuck what's going on you know who am I what's and so that's that's challenging it's challenging to like I invite people to be like you know if, if this feels kind of anxiety induced like take a break relax go for a walk like you don't need to force yourself to really internalize this but it is it is kind of an attack you know and I, and when i tweet about it, this kind of thing people sometimes say uh i this is is this an attack are you attacking me and it's like yes <laughs> you know it's I, I am kind of suggesting to you that you might be the person who is causing you pain and frustration in life but i also think that you are the solution you know it's like you are the it's like you you are both the hero and the villain at the same time, and you have to find a synthesis and and then act five is about returning with the elixir sort of, you know, integrating your dark and light cells. And then kind of um, finally it's about paying it forward and kind of like cultivating this nourishing energy, kind of releasing the tension, like stop, stop going to war with yourself, put the gun down and so my hope is that. Um, so I don't expect someone to read the book and then instantly be enlightened and then be like, oh, I, I, i all my problems are gone. I'm super happy now. Like, uh, but people have already been telling me like the their early reactions to the book, and it's like people say, you know, they, they have faced themselves more. They've journaled about things that they were ashamed to talk about at first, but the book gave them courage to try, and they tried it, and now they feel more relaxed. They feel more at ease with themselves so that's that's hearing that for me and and them telling me that that relieves me because i was tense that it's not going to work and i just you know i kind of encourage people to look at, at their lives and then they feel bad and then it doesn't get better and then like i did that to them i feel bad but thankfully it seems that it's working and people are reacting well to it and my hope is that you know, so none of the things that I say are like, especially novel or, you know, it's all, it's all old wisdom that you can find yourself. If you just read a whole bunch of old books and, and old, you read the Bible, even and I just read all this ancient wisdom about how to live a good life. Like you'll find all of these things inside. Um, what I hope that I did, and I think I succeeded more like fairly well is I try to present all of it in a, in a, minimal-ish framework. And by minimal, it's like it's freaking 300 pages, but you can just read the overviews of every chapter, which is like maybe 20 pages altogether. And it kind of just gives you this overarching structure for thinking about, about the narrative of your personal journey through your difficulties. Because I do find a lot of people, they, they know that they have difficulties in their life but they don't know what it's gonna be like to face them. So it feels like I'm just gonna go and get myself hurt for no reason, and then I got to live my life. You know, I I have work to do, I got bills to pay, I I got deadlines to meet, and I could face my feelings, which will be unpleasant, or I could just, you know, watch movies and play video games and then ignore it. Because if I face my feelings, like what's what's the point? I'm just gonna be upset and then fuck, you know? And so I, I present a narrative in which Yes, you face your feelings and it's going to be unpleasant, but there is a pleasantness at the end of it. And so that, I think, gives people hope and courage. So I guess, yeah, after all of that, the point is to give people kind of courage and hope and, and a sense that they're not alone, that they can go on this journey towards greater integration with themselves. They can feel more at home in their own body, in their own life. And they can like wake up in the morning and enjoy their life a bit more than they do yesterday. And like, this is a ongoing process that you can learn. You can learn that skill set and apply it to yourself day to day and become more and more of a nourishing presence in your own life for yourself. And then also for the people around you. And that's, that's the, the real glorious end game, right? Like when you're done healing and um Dolph Lundgren the, the guy who acted in um, Rocky and, and Universal Soldier this big six foot six blonde muscular mm-hmm. guy um he had a rough childhood like his father was his father was abusive and like uh you know he he became this tough fit high high accomplishing guy he's like, it's like a he's like a master's in microbiology or something like super accomplished guy but like in his 20s and 30s I think he was he said that there was a fog in his life and he was kind of violent as well and he was like drinking and he was just um not good to people in their in his relationships with them like he'll be yelling and stuff and like I think he he got married got divorced and like um he was just his his relationship with his children was not that great and then he went through this process of healing and meditation and and talk therapy and and all all of those things and he described how it changed his life um the fog lifted he felt the tension from like his body releasing and then he he called his ex-wife and he cried and he called his children and he, he told he said that he was sorry for everything and they cried, he cried, and just this beautiful story of of healing and, and reconciliation. And then he says, you know, having done all of that, you look around and you see that, oh wow, so many other people are hurting as well. And then like we can all we can heal ourselves, and then when we have excess capacity, we can heal each other, and then we can try and spread that and heal more and more people. And yeah, I think that's possible. I think uh, I have been privileged enough to be kind of, you know, been on a bit of that journey myself, and I am trying to, you know, without being preachy about it. I think so again, like when I said earlier about if someone wants to be a better person because they feel that their current state is unacceptable, then that doesn't work because it's like you feel your own aversion to yourself and there's a negative reaction to that. Similarly, I feel like when someone tries to be like a guru figure or like a hero figure and they're like, I'm going to save everyone, I'm going to fix everyone, people sense that implicit in that is the judgment that people are not okay the way they are. Like, I mean, I mean you, you look at the world, like, yeah, the world is obviously, there's a lot of shit going on in the world. But I do believe that if you want to try and make the world a better place, you can't do it from a place of like neediness. Like I need the world to be better. Otherwise, I'm yeah. not okay. Yeah. Then, well, then people can feel that. That's, that's specificity and that, that doesn't work, you
0: know? And another interesting thing is that it's it's almost like a ping pong game where you where you start being active rather than passive of things. You consciously try to make things better around you, and so first of all, of course, you're making the circumstances better for you because you've actually um, you've actually made an impact on the outside. And but even the attempt alone to do something good for those around you is immediately making making you better. And yeah, I, ha- I have to share with you my um, uh, like alternative header for your book, because I don't know, it just popped in my mind and you can chuck it. Of course, I'm not going to impose it on there. But yeah, for me, it's for some reason, something like get going, keep going, never stop is kind of something that popped in my head, reading it and and like you say, it's it's almost like building up the courage, building up the passion to be able to start going on some on some. I don't want to say treadmill, that sounds boring, but start a journey. Yeah. Start a journey and and you know make that first step of of the thousand miles or whatever that we get in this lifetime, and then keep going, and then don't stop well until something makes us stop. And along the way, you know, revel in the in the beauty of the world and enjoy the company of of those around you. And I also wanted to to let you know that I find your um, your style of writing very interesting, right? Because at first you you approach this book and it's uh, it's unorthodox in a sense. There is a lot of, of different things you bring together uh, poems, quotes, Twitter threads, uh, all sorts of things. And it takes some getting used to, but in the end, I really love it because it is very, um, I, I know you're a, you're a fan of the Maxim that everything is a remix. And I yeah. think it's it's almost like the perfect remix because it's like you say, there's, there's so much there from, from people who have said these things, but it is put together and curated in a way that is uh, very thought provoking because wherever you're going to open it, you're going to find this this uh, bite-sized thing, and and it's going to make you think. So I think that's a that's something that I enjoyed actually. Exactly as you said, like look at the overview, look at the look at the structure, and then go somewhere. And then even reading it, you can kind of be easy on yourself. If if you want to skip this part right now, and you're very much attracted to um, to a title of this chapter of this uh, sub chapter. Uh, go there right now it's gonna be fine it's it's going to somehow be remixed into a uh, or synthesized into a, a new thing so I really appreciated that
1: oh, I love hearing this that's very that that feels good for me as well it's like it's really it, it was a bit of a risk right it's not very conventional but I wanted to write the book that I wish someone had written for me and yeah the 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 whole remixy idea is like it's Again, I don't wanna. I don't wanna claim that I am, you know, an authority who knows my stuff super well, such that I can give you this structured experience entirely of my own words. So what I, but what I am good at is I've read a lot of stuff all over the place, you know, all this time. So I, like, I, why, why should I, you know, take center stage all the time when you know Nietzsche said this, Kanye said that. You know, there's all these other people who have said things, and I can kind of bring everyone you know, you bring in all these separate people and demonstrate that there is a sort of oneness throughout, like a thread through all of their, their sayings. And I think that, that, yeah, I, I didn't explicitly say this, but it, it makes me feel good that there are so many different people and different sources of wisdom that all kind of wrap around the same one sense right so love and acceptance and and inquiry and yeah thanks for sharing that that's really nice to hear yeah of course and it just pops in my mind as
0: well that you know it it takes someone special I can actually uh picture very few people who would who would be able to literally hang out with both Kanye and Nietzsche and stuff but that kind of energy is also is also kind of um spread throughout the book um yeah well visa this has been uh a great pleasure to to have you back on the podcast and i hope that uh, people will give your uh book at least a chance and uh where where is it found currently
1: uh it's at so if you want to you can, gum g-u-m dot c-o slash introspect or you can just google visakan introspect and you'll find it
0: yeah and there will be a link of course well Visa, this has been uh, great and uh, i look forward to uh, keeping in touch all right thanks you all i'll see you again sure bye